we'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and get started and stuff. Uh, this is the one on prayer. If you were thinking this was dating, it's the wrong one. Uh, so we could talk about dating, but it wouldn't be as good as it was the other day. So uh, you know, you'll uh, not be as helped. So we're going to be talking a little bit about prayer. So you may you may hear a verse or two that you want to write down that may be helpful for you. And uh, I would just encourage you as a pattern of life. Just, you, you get this for free. It's not even part of the workshop. But I would just encourage you, as you go along, when you're in something like, you know, um, a workshop, when you're in something like church, when you're in something like, like challenge, when you're wherever, I would encourage you, learn to take notes. It, it, it's just a good thing. You know, you don't have to take, like, you know, a plethora of notes or something, but learn to jot a few things down for you because what you'll find is, so often you'll be able to, you'll face something later in life and you'll think, if only I'd written that down, I would know that, you know, and it, it'll, I mean, it'll just be helpful for you. So I, I would encourage you to do it. Plus, uh, just think, I mean, the things God wants to teach you, you know, you ought to value them enough that you actually write them down. So I, I'd encourage you to just make that a pattern of your life. It'll help you out a lot. Just think if you went to class the way you go to challenge. And you just thought, if God wants me to remember it, I will. How would you do in school? Probably not too well. You know? So do different. Take some notes. So, okay. Prayer, that's what we're going to be talking about. Prayer is one of those areas, um, I don't know about you, I could probably ask you a lot on that, but I think prayer is one of those areas that's a little puzzling to people. Um, it's really a hard area. You know, Bob and I were talking one day, and, and somebody asked him, said, you know, Bob, would, would you pray for me this next year? And he goes, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and they were like, well, he goes, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I, I guess I could. He goes, it's hard to pray every day. You know, and I thought, it is. I mean, you know, a lot of times we're very flippant in the way that we uh, approach prayer. We're very flippant in the way we go about it. You know, we, uh, you know, have any of you ever had this experience where somebody says something and you go, oh, I'll pray about that. And then they come back later and they go, oh, thanks so much for praying. And you go, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I'm glad I did too. Remind me what I was praying about. <laughs> And what you find is pe people profess much more than they possess in the area of prayer. You know, uh, oftentimes what, what they'll talk about and what is actually true in their life is very, very different. And I think that a lot of times what we're pretty sure we know about prayer and what we feel inside are really different. Like I'll hear people talk about, oh, you know, pray and God does this and this and this and this. And yet inside of us oftentimes there's all kinds of doubts and there's all kinds of like you know in things we don't really say to other people we, we think things like you know does this really matter I mean is, is God really going to do something here I mean is this really is this just like wishful thinking on my part I mean, what's really going to happen? Now, I'm sure as I say that, some of you are thinking, you know, actually, yes, that's exactly what I think. 
And others are like, is it, is it okay for us to talk about that? Can we even talk that we think that? Well, yeah, I mean, you ought to. You ought, you ought to actually, you know, figure out, you know, does it matter? Go into the scriptures, begin to find out some certain things. So I want to start a little different place this morning. In Matthew 5.16, anybody know Matthew 5.16? Oh, oh, as Chuck would say, put that down on your list right there. You need to do that. Yes, Tanner, what's Matthew 5.16? That is exactly right. Jesus speaking said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. You know, what he's saying there is this. There are things in our life that are supposed to show. And there are things in our life that aren't supposed to show. Usually we get the two mixed up. You know, we're very, we're very confused at that point. You know, there are some things that need to be kept in the background, and there are some things that need, need to be brought out front. You know, the things that um, are to show are the kinds of persons we're becoming, you know, to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more patient, to be more gentle, to be uh, more intentional. Those are the kinds of things that are to show. The things that aren't to show are the things that got us there in the first place the things that actually made us that kind of person. We're not to go around just flying those off. Jesus points this out in Matthew 6, and he says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearances, so that they may be noticed by men that they are fasting. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast... Anoint your head, wash your, wash your face, so that your fasting may not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in heaven. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. And he says, you know, if you're fasting, you know, just walk around with a toothpick in your mouth, okay? You don't have to walk around like, oh, you know, and doing that. He goes on to say, he says, when, then the one uh, we're looking at here, he says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now men and women, see we don't do that a lot of times. A lot of times what we want to do is we want the things to show that are the things that are actually developing us. You know, we want to make those front and center because we want to kind of draw attention to ourselves. And so, you know, like we get up and you go, oh, man, knee's pretty worn out. Stuff. People go, really? What happened? You, you hurt yourself? No, nah, I guess, you know, get two or three hours praying every day, I guess. You know, just gotta, you know and people go, oh, and Jesus says, hope you enjoyed that. That's your reward in full. That's it. So, you know, what we need to see is, why does Jesus say that? Why, 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 why are those things to be kept there? Well, 
Prayer is a personal relationship thing. It, it is not about public show. That's, that's not what it's about. And we aren't to pray because it looks good to somebody else or because we ought to, but we're to pray because God hears and answers. That's why we're to pray. So, you know, what we need to understand, when we pray, we are not the primary participant. God is. And once we get that down, it straightens out a whole lot of things. You know, prayer begins with God. It doesn't begin with you. Prayer is where the transcendent God and the personal God come together in one point. See, in most religions, what you find is you either have a transcendent God, this glorious, majestic God that is far off, that's over everything and powerful, or you have a God that's very personal. I mean, you know, he's everywhere. He's in this tree over here. You know, he's just like that. But only in Christianity do you find that you have a transcendent and a personal God. You have a transcendent God as the God of the universe, the one who created everything. But at the same time, he is a personal God who wants to relate to us as Father. And it's in prayer that we see those two things actually begin to come together. The primary thing God wants to build into your life through prayer is a life of faith. That's the thing he's trying to build. So without faith, prayer really makes little sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all. And without prayer, faith simply becomes fatalism. It's simply, you know, well, it's going to happen, so we'll just go with it. So God is developing your faith, but you can't faith God into things. You know, you can't be like, no, no, God, you have to do it because I believe. It's like, no, God is God, and he's God all by himself, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And so you can't, like, you know, ramp up your faith and kind of twist God's arm into something. That's not how that works. But you have to have faith. To believe God... For something that he hasn't promised, that's just presumption. But to not believe him for something he has promised, that's sin. So, you know, you, you want to stay away from that. So faith, faith plays a key component in prayer. And if you look in Hebrews, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What faith is, faith is the assurance that what God has said he will do, he really will do. We don't believe um, that what God has said he will do uh, because of faith. We believe it because of evidence. That little word there that says the conviction of things not seen, that word conviction, it, it means evidence, the evidence of things not seen. And when you look in Hebrews 11, if you go on and you read all of the rest of Hebrews 11, what you see is, Evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence about why you can trust God and why you can have faith in him. And this is how God acts here, and this is how God acts here. And so you don't have to worry about trusting him. So what are the implications of all of that for you? And that's what I'd like us to look at in the rest of our time. <clears throat> and what i like to do is take, there's like four things that I want us to to look at, kind of get our um, minds wrapped around when it comes to prayer. The first one is this. Your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. You're not just reciting words. You know, sometimes people say, you want to say a prayer? I think, no, I want to pray. You know, uh, 
I don't want to say a prayer. You're not just reciting words. Your, your prayers actually matter. You are speaking to the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God of the universe. In Isaiah 40, 31. No, it's not 40, 31. This is not true. It's like 40, 11. It says, who has measured off the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand? And marked off the heavens by the span and weighed and the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Now, I want you to take your hand right there. I want you to just hold it out there in front of you. I want you to look at that. Just hold it up right there. Look at your palm. Now, I want you to think, how much water could you hold in the palm of your hand? I mean, without, you know, spilling it all over yourself and looking like you've had an accident. I mean, how much water could you hold in the palm of your hand? What do you think? A couple of teaspoons? Yeah, I mean, maybe if you have a big hand. All the waters of all the earth, God holds in the palm of his hand. Three-fourths of the earth, by the way. Right in the palm of his hand. It says he, he takes and he calculates, you know, the dust of the earth by the measure. Like when he's looking at all the sand, like you go out here and you drive across the desert, you think, good night, there's a lot of sand. You start looking around the rest of the world, good night. You know what? God goes, there you go. Says he marks off the heavens by the span. You look at the heavens, thousands upon tens of thousands of light years wide and long and deep and everything else. You look at all that and God just goes, eh. measures it off like that. Now, it's awfully hard to think of God in those terms and then think, God, I don't know if you can do anything here. It's like, really? Really? Your prayers matter because you are talking to the sovereign God of the universe. And you need to remind yourself of that. You need to remind yourself, this is who I'm talking to. It's that God that says this in Jeremiah 33.3. He says, call to me. And I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things you do not know. So we need to do that. You know, he, he also said in John 15, 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So as we pray, the God of all creation acts. Therefore, one of the things you want to do is you want to seek to develop a really a praying life. Not just a prayer life, but a praying life. One where uh, it's a life that's just kind of saturated with prayerfulness. It's this life that as you're going through, you know, morning, noon, night, wherever it is, saturated with that. Seeking to bring God into all that you do. The second thing about prayer is this. You don't come on your own merit. You come on the merit of Jesus. You don't come on your own merit. You come on the merit of Jesus. And God, being the primary participant in prayer, he's provided the way. You know, sometimes praying in Jesus' name is something that I see people, they just kind of, they just kind of tack that on. You know, oh yeah, uh, in Jesus' name. You know, it's like, you know, it's just like a little, you know, sincerely yours, you know. No, that's not what it is. You need to remember when you pray in Jesus' name, what you're saying is, um, this is the basis for which we can come before you, God. On the basis of what Jesus has done. 
not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what he's done. In um, Hebrews 4.16, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then Jesus says this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In John 14, 13 and 14. To be asked in Jesus, to ask in Jesus' name, what that really means is you're not trusting your own merit when you begin to pray to God. And you say, well, what difference does that make? Well, let, let me just give you a, a, a little example of this. How many of you have something like this? You wake up, you kind of like, wow, woke up before the alarm. I actually have time to meet with God rather than just, you know, my quiet time being, oh, God, uh, and getting up and running around. You, know, you actually have time to meet with him. And so you do, and you get up, and you're spending time with him, and you're nice to your roommate, and, you know, you walk out, and the whole day's going good. And now all of a sudden you pray, and you kind of think, I think I may get this prayer answered today. I had a quiet time. I ate breakfast. Uh, I was nice to my roommate. But let's say it's not that kind of a day. Let's say you set the alarm, you slept through it, you got up, you know, your only quiet time was, you know, you know, jumping in there and trying to wash your face or something, going, oh, God, why did this day? And you're running through the day, and, and then, you know, you're, you yell at your roommate, and you scream, and then you go out and you start to pray, and you think, probably not going to get this one answered. You know what you're thinking? My merit, my activity before God is what determines my prayer life. Oh, no, 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 no. See, we pray in the merit of Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Because you know what? It's not through our merit that we can ever approach God in the first place. It's because of his merit, what he already did. And so you want to remember that as you begin to pray. Third thing, we have to have faith in God's power and willingness to answer. We have to have faith in God's power and willingness to answer. In prayer, what you're really learning to do is you're learning to trust the person and the activity of God. That's what you're learning to do. Our prayers grow out of how we know and understand God. If you don't know and understand God rightly, you know, your prayers are going to really reflect that. And so the more you know God, the more you really understand him, the more your prayers will begin to take on a different tone because what you'll begin to see is, God is not only able to act, but he's really willing to act. He, he, he wants to act. In Mark eleven twenty four, 24, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. As we said earlier, you know, faith and prayer go hand in hand. Now, I want you to suppose, suppose that you're, you know, with a small group, and you're praying there, and, you know, somebody says, hey, my aunt is uh, suffering from cancer. Um, you know, we found out. Could somebody uh, pray for her? 
and you go, yes, I'll pray. And so you start praying, you know, for her aunt, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody comes in, opens the door, goes, hey, 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 just got word. Uh, her aunt, suddenly, well, you can stop praying. I mean, everyone would fall out of their chair right there. What? You know, oh my gosh, are you really serious? You know, yeah. You're like, well, like, why? Because so often when we pray, we pray, but we're not really expecting an answer. We're not really anticipating that God is going to really do something. You need to have prayer. You need to have faith in God's willingness and ability to answer when you pray. So therefore, you know, you need to pray with a sense of expectancy. Uh, there's an example of this in Acts chapter 12, which is a hoot. Um, if you're reading in Acts 12, it says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, which means he was about to kill him. Um, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains, guards at the front door were watching over the prison. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up. Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. You know, angels are bad at jailbreaks, okay? I mean, this is not good. I mean, can you imagine? You're there, the lights come on, they're clang, 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 clang. Like, There's guards here, you know. But uh, the angel said to him, gird up yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know what was going on, what was being done by the angel was real. For he thought he was just having a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that led to the city, which opened for them by itself. Kind of weird right there. And they went out and went along one street. Immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she didn't open the door. But she ran back in and announced, Peter's standing at the front gate. You know what they said? You're out of your mind. Now, what had they been praying for? <laughs> Peter to be released. What happened? Peter was released. What did they say? You're out of your mind. See, no one's expecting this. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, no, it's his angel. Um, very, you know, biblical view. Um, but Peter continued knocking until they finally opened the door, and they saw it was him, and they were amazed. They were amazed. See, God can choose to act in a situation where there's unbelieving prayer, but he doesn't act because of that. He acts in spite of that. So, you know, you need to understand when you pray, you need to really trust God's willingness and his ability to answer. I, I honestly think there was somebody that believed. I think it was Rhoda probably that was believing in the whole time of praying. You know, but I mean, you know, the others, not so much. Now you say... Well, but what if you don't have faith to believe that? Well, then pray for what you can believe. You know, if you don't have faith to believe, you know, like in the situation with the gal's aunt, that she's going to be cured, well, then pray, God, would you comfort her? 
or God, would you pray for what you can believe? But you know what? When you pray, trust God. This, you're praying to the God of the universe. Trust him. The fourth thing, the fourth area. We must learn to patiently wait upon God to answer without fixing on God a time when or the circumstances under which he should give the answer. Let me repeat that for you. We need to learn to patiently wait upon God to answer without fixing on God a time when or the circumstances under which he should give an answer. Patience should be an exercise in connection with our prayer. Patience should just be part of that. Paul tells the Colossians in, in Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, what he's saying is be persistent in it. Um, you know, you need to learn to pray, and you need to learn to stay after it when you pray. Now, I don't know about you, but that was something I had to grow into. I mean, um, I, I just, you know, persistence was not one of those key characteristics in my life, you know. And when I was about a sophomore, I began to learn some of this. I had this roommate. His name was Spooky um, because he was born on Halloween. And uh, so he was also, he was on the basketball team, a, a pure shooter. I mean, good night. This guy averaged like 28 points a game, great shooter. But he was also, you know, kind of like, uh, we, we were different. He was like a distance away from God, you know, and uh, we were roommates. So I would come in, you know, and he'd say, uh, hey, uh, were you at uh, that, uh, that thing? I'd say, uh, Bible study. Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. He goes, oh, you know what I think about that? I said, no, no. He goes, that is effed up. That's what I think about that. <laughs> okay, think about that, Spook. Appreciate that. And, uh, you know, then and he's like, you know, he kind of stood around and he would, you know, say things like, you know, hey, you know what I think about you? No, no, I don't. He goes, well, by the way, you are. And I said, okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, he would continue this, I mean, for nine months. And for nine months, I would, you know, think, my job is to love him. My job is to pray for him. My job is to share with him. And so that's what I would do. And, you know, we would just go on and he'd come in, hey, yeah, we got at that thing. Yeah, you know what I think about that? I think I'm going to know. And, you know, and then sure enough, you know, he would tell me. And then I began to notice, you know, like nine months later, you know, from August to April, I began to notice, you know, some things were changing. And I kind of thought, hey, what's up? And I began to talk to him and I began to find out, good night. God was really getting hold of his life. And he began to look at it, and he began to think, you know what? I think this is true. And I think I need to follow him. Now, that wasn't just a, you know, fly-by-night decision, because, you know, I, I chatted with him here a few weeks ago online, and you know what? It's been 40-something years since that time, like 47. And he's still walking with God. And God's still a part of his life. So you know what? Sometimes it takes time. And you need to trust God and you need to persist in praying. One of my favorite guys in all of the world, in fact, if I had time to spend one time with one guy from history, this would probably be the guy. But his name is George Mueller. 
And he is, uh, he is like, you know, great guy. One of the things he did is this. You know, um, he's posting this. He said, um, on November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, whatever the pressures of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. Six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and prayed on for the other two. These two remain unconverted. Thirty-six years later, he wrote that the other two, sons of one of Mueller's friends, were still not converted. He wrote, <clears throat> but I hope in God, and I pray on, and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began praying for them, they were finally converted. But after he had died. Mueller understood, you know, what Luke meant when he said in the parable, you know, uh, you need to pray without ceasing. You need to continue on. You know, in our, <clears throat> in our life as well, you know, like at our house, many of you have been to our house, and if you haven't, you're welcome sometime. But, you know, you know, in our house, we lived in this house for like 11 years. Um, we were renting it before we bought it, which we've been in it for like the last... Um, 22 years since we bought it. But for like the first 11 years, we were there. And we were about three years in. And I was looking around, I thought, this is a great house. You know, this is a great house. I, um, it, it's, it's kind of like laid out okay for ministry. And you can put a lot of people here. You can kind of spread them everywhere, which we do about every week. And, you know, they're kind of like all over the place. And I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if God were to provide this house? Because, I mean... We were so broke, we couldn't even pay attention, so I thought, we can't afford it, but maybe God would provide it. So, just started praying, and prayed for like eight years. And you know what? Eight years later, God opened up the opportunity for us to buy the house, and we were able to do it. You ever prayed for anything for eight years? See, most of us... We don't persist in things like that. We don't do it. You know, we pray for about five minutes and then we're like, oh, nothing's happening. You need to learn to persist. You need, you know, you need to learn to, uh, you need to learn to really patiently trust God, not set up a timetable for him. Jesus said this. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. There was a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not, uh, and he would not for a while. But afterward he said to himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming to me weary, weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said? And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In Luke 18. You know, 
many things what you're going to find in your life, men and women, many things are going to go on and on and on. And the question you're going to have to ask yourself is, are you going to persist in prayer? Because, you know, there are things God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. And so you need to continue on in prayer. God causes things to come into history through our prayers. You know, that's how things actually begin to place. He causes growth to take place in our lives. Um, you know, such as, you know, deciding is he good or is he not? You see, a lot of people may pray, and if God does something, then they're like, oh, God is so good. Now, what happens when you have to pray for something for eight years or 52 years? See, what God does a lot of times is he'll hold up waiting for you to grow in an area and decide, is God's character already settled no matter what happens in this? Is he good even if he doesn't answer this right now? Or is he good if he says no? And a lot of times what God's doing is God's trying to grow us in that. Sometimes he wants to reshape our faith by waiting. You know, our hearts may not be ready for the answer. And so he's really wanting us to persist in prayer so he can help us with that. Sometimes he's wanting us to remember that he's the primary participant, not us. And if we do, then we, we do well. Matthew 7, 7, where Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, knock and, you know, the thing is, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking. And that's what we want to do. You know, sometimes prayer may take years. What you need to remember is this. God works on a much different time scale than you do. He works on a much larger time scale. He's playing the long game. He plays on a much different time scale. And you need to learn to trust him in prayer. You know, um, back to my favorite historical person, you know, George Mueller. If you look at Mueller, towards the end of Mueller's life, there was a time when uh, this guy named A.T. Pearson, who was one of his biographers, um, decided he wanted to write this biography of Mueller. So he was going to come out and he was going to visit Mueller. And he wanted, to, um, he wanted to be around him. Mueller, for those of you that don't know Mueller, many of you may, anybody know much about George Mueller? Anybody? You want to? All right, two. Both of you. I appreciate that. Um, George Mueller was a guy, back in the time of Charles Dickens, when Dickens was writing like Oliver Twist and talking about the orphans in England and everything that was going on, Mueller was actually taken care of. Mueller began to say, hey, you know what? It would be a great idea for us to um, have something that would help people here, normal people, learn that there is a God who answers prayer and hears things. So he said, if I, being a man of no means, were to actually pray and have nothing but prayer be my only option to provide for these orphans, then people would be able to see an example of, you know, the living God providing. So <clears throat> Mueller just began to pray. God, would you um, provide? In response, God began to provide money for them to build an orphanage. They began to do that. Over the course of his life, he took care of like 10,000 orphans. 
thousands of orphans. I mean, and Mueller, besides that, I mean, if you read the life of Mueller, incredible guy. Besides that, he pastored this church. He had he formed something called the Scriptural Knowledge Institute, which they distributed, you know, scriptures and literature all over the world. He, you know, money would come into him from like all over the world, and, and then he would turn around and send it out to people like Hudson Taylor and all these other people doing ministry. Amazing guy. So Pearson comes to write about it. And he comes and he says, they're there, and they're, they're, at that time they have about 3,000 orphans that they're caring for. And he comes into this house one night, and he's sitting there talking to Mr. Mueller, and they're, they're conversing back and forth. And all of a sudden, this housekeeper comes in, and she goes, <clears throat> Mr. Mueller, um, we have no food. And what? She goes, we have nothing for breakfast. And he goes, oh. And Pearson's like, oh my gosh. I come to write about him. On the one night I come to write about him, everything falls apart. This is not going to be a good book. You know, and he's sitting there thinking this. And so Mueller looks at him and goes, would you join me in prayer? And Pearson's like, yeah, sure. He goes, Father, you've promised to be a father to the fatherless. We take you at your word. Amen. And he gets up. And he... And Pearson goes, what, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to bed. <laughs> he goes, don't you think we ought to do something? He goes, I just did. And he goes, okay. And so he goes, I went up to bed. He goes, I don't know whether Mueller slept all night. He goes, I didn't. He said, all night long, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? He goes, what I didn't know was when Mueller said, I did, he did. He said, because <clears throat> across the river, this grocer woke up in the middle of the night with a thought, George Mueller's orphans need food. And he said, oh, you know, God, I haven't taken them anything in a while. I'll have to drop by there sometime tomorrow and drop them some groceries off. And he went back to sleep. And an hour later, he woke up, George Mueller's orphans need food. And he thought, yeah, got that. Uh, you know, I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to drop them off some food. And he laid back down. So 30 minutes later, he woke up with the thought, George Mueller's orphans need food now. And he thought, <laughs> okay. And so he got out of bed, loaded this whole wagon up, took all these groceries over, sat them all on the back porch. And the next morning when they got up to fix breakfast, everything was there. And Pearson said, <clears throat> excuse me. Pearson said, I learned. Wow. Mueller understands things about prayer that I only suspect. Now, what I would tell you this, men and women, if you look at prayer as you're the primary participant, you're going to miss everything. God is the primary participant, and he is the omniscient, omnipotent creator of the universe who holds all power in his hand. So when you come to him through his son, Christ, who has already paved a way for us to come to him, then you can come to him with a sense of quiet confidence that the very thing he has promised to do, he will do. And you can dig into his word and find out what are those promises. And you can begin to trust him for them. 
the reason Mueller could pray for those guys for so long to be saved, one of the things, if you read his biographies, which I've read about eight, if you read those, what you'll find is, you know, that like God has said, it is his, not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to know him. So with confidence, Mueller said, therefore, I can pray that these guys would come. And he did. I wonder in our own lives how many things there are that God wants to do if we would just persist in prayer. If we would just decide, you know what? This is something God's promised. I'm not presuming on this. Why don't I just persist and trust him in this and pray? And you say, well, but why would he wait to develop a life of faith in us? Why would he wait to straighten out our perspective? Why would he wait so he would really get the glory and it would look like, oh, it's you, the primary participant, super prayer? No. You know, see, what Mueller understands is this is really about God and his glory. And, and, and we want to join him in that. Let me just pause and ask you um, any, any questions, anything that's not clear for you, anything, because my, Audrey. Like, how do you believe that what you ask will be answered without kind of slipping into presumption? Like, is that just understanding the promises of God versus... Yeah, a lot of it is. Like, Mueller, for instance, like, a lot of times people look at, at um, the way Mueller prayed and people think, oh, man, you know, Mueller just prayed and God just did. No. Like, if, even if you look at the orphanages, one of the things Mueller did was he had the thought... How can I help this unbelieving generation to actually see that there is a living God who is ready to answer our prayers? And then he looked around himself and he said, good night. There are all these orphans everywhere not being taken care of. Wait, what if I, a man of no means, were to begin to pray and through prayer alone were to trust God to provide for all these? And so that was the thought, but then he thought, you know what I need to do? I need to check this out. So he began to go to the word of God, and he began to find God has said, I will be a father to the fatherless. I will help them. He began to look at all these promises God had made about taking care of orphans. And then the next thing he did, he said, God, is that what you want for me? Do you want me to join you in that? Is that what you want? And when he became convinced, you know, that God did, at one point he's praying that, and God you know, speaks to him at this one point in Psalms. He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And Mueller's like, I think God's saying he wants me to be a part of this. And so he steps into it. And it's only then that Mueller began to pray for things. Like he began to pray, God, would you provide the money that you want to build this orphanage? You know, over the course of Mueller's life, in today's dollars, he prayed in something like, you know, 30 billion dollars. I don't know, it's a bunch of money. He prayed in at that time, it was like uh, like 10 million pounds or something like that, which I don't even know conversion rate over to this side. A ton of money. And so God provided, but Mueller always wanted to make sure that God had promised this and that God wanted him to be a part. And once he was convinced of those things, he would begin to pray. So he would look through and see, what has God said? about, you know, these people here that I would love to see converted. And God says, you know, I want to see them converted. So he said, 
then it is your will. So I will pray that way. See, we don't pray to impose our will upon God. We pray to discover his will. You know, we're not looking to try to, you know, force God into something like we know more than he does. You know, that's not what we're trying to do. But you began to pray and he began to do that. And so that's what you do. You really just check that out and begin to see what God says in his word. Any other? Yeah, okay. Uh, what's the loving response to someone, let's say someone who uh, prayed for like a family member to cover from the notice and mm-hmm. they don't? And what's the loving response to someone who goes through something? Yeah, say that last part again. What's the loving response to, to someone who goes through something like that? Yeah, you know, um, sometimes the best response is just to be with them and not necessarily say something, because most of the time people try to think of something clever to say, and they don't have it. And, you know, I don't, um, like when I was 16 um, years old, I had been 16 for about 30 minutes, and um, my dad died suddenly. And there were people that would say all sorts of things that they thought were, you know, going to be helpful, like, you know, well, I'll bet he's in a better place, things like that, I think you didn't know my dad. Um, my dad, you know, um, was as lost as a duck in the desert. And so, you know, think thoughts like that seems like it didn't help a bit. You know, I had a friend that came over one day and said, uh, a couple of days later, said, you wanna, wanna go play tennis? Said, sure. We went out and got in the car, drove over, beat the daylights out of that tennis ball for about uh, three hours. Never said a word. Got back in the car, never said a word. Drove home, I thought, I still remember that. I thought, very helpful for him. You know, I, I needed to go beat something. And so that was helpful. So I think I'll, oftentimes we'll try to say something. You don't necessarily need to say something. You just need to, you know, you, you need the presence to be there for them. I'd say as far as how do you speak to that, you know, when Jesus was here, he didn't heal everybody. He healed a lot, but he didn't heal everybody. And sometimes there's things God wants to do, and we don't understand, you know. Or, I mean, I look in my own situation there, and I think, uh, you know, I remember when I was 16, I thought, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I look now, and I think, man, my life could have taken some very different turns. And... I wouldn't have found myself as open to the things of God and I wouldn't have found myself really um, learning things from God that I needed to as my father if my other father was around. And so, you know, I, I, I can see the wisdom of those things on this side of it. I couldn't see them then. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't always know right up front that you can trust. John? You mentioned earlier that we don't participate in prayer on our merit, but truly in Jesus. Mm -hmm. What did prayer look like before Jesus? Like that relationship? No, what you'd see, like if you look, start in the Old Testament, you look at like Abraham and others, they would come out, they would come before God and they they would pray. They would come trusting God to do things, trusting God in what he had said. And, you know, like, you know, that's one of the reasons, like, people look at, like, say, um, Elijah, and they say, um, 
wow, that would be cool to just be able to come in and say, I pray that it would not rain. And then it just doesn't rain. And somebody goes, yeah, but I'm not going to pray something like that because, you know, I mean, honestly, you can't just throw something like that out. You didn't just throw something like that out. Read Deuteronomy. What you find in Deuteronomy, God says, you know what? I am taking you into a land that is like a land flowing with milk and honey that has rain that come in the right times. They will come in the spring. You'll have rains that will come later that will be really good for you. The land will flourish. Now, if you do not follow me and you do not walk with me, I will cause those rains to dry up. I will cause these things to stop. Well, guess what? Elijah read that too. And so when Elijah stands before God and says, God, these people are walked away from you. They are not going to follow you. Stop the rain. He was praying right in line with what God had said already. And you know what? God stops the rain. Now, the encouraging thing for me, if you read over in James, James says this. Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed fervently that it would not rain in Israel. And it did not rain in Israel for three years and six months. And you look and you think, Elijah was a man just like us. See, we can have our prayers answered just like Elijah. What we need to learn to do is pray in line with what God has said. What are his promises? What has he said already? And you begin to do that. You also see, though, if you look at the disciples, there was something really different. I mean, they grew up, you know, little Jewish boys. They were praying and stuff. But then they got around Jesus, and they saw the way he prayed. And that's why they come to him, and they go, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, and he does. And he begins to help them to see, you know, when you're praying, pray like this, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And he goes on and shares with them how to actually approach God. So, yeah. Any others? Well, there you go. Matt? Um, somebody else had two. So, go. Um, first is like, if you're praying for some longer term things, how do you keep that from getting repetitive? Sure. And then the other one being, how do you create space for God to speak to you in prayer without or just like not making a one way kind of talking at Sure. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, questions, if you didn't hear them, was if you're praying for something long-term, how do you keep that from just being something that's repetitive? And then, you know, if uh, if you're... Repeat the second one again, Matt. Um, how do you create space for God to speak to you? How do you create space for God to speak to you in prayer? So it's not just a one-way conversation. In the first place, you know, one of the things I'll do is as I'm praying, like, I've got some things right now, you know, that... I have been praying for for a long, long time. You know, there's one guy uh, that used to go to SC. He's, he's a friend. Um, um, he's in India now. Um, when he was here, um, he, had, he was roommates with, with one of our guys. We got to know him. He, he's a really good guy. Uh, we became friends. I began to pray for him, you know, um, that God would really, I mean, we, we were walking around campus one day and, and I was sharing with him. He goes, hey, 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 wait a minute. Are you trying to convert me? I said, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, okay, go ahead. So I said, okay. So we went on, you know, talking and stuff. Like that. But this guy's been a friend now for 32 uh, years. And I've been praying for him for 32 years. 
and you know what? I think one of these days he's going to come, come to Christ. And we'll see. You know, time will tell. We'll find out what, you know, God's desire is there. But I'll keep praying for him. I've had other things, you know, I've been praying for for a number of years. Some I've been praying for for just a few years. Some for a few minutes. But what I'll do is I'll look at the scriptures and I'll search the scriptures. And as I'm praying, like when I come across something that speaks to one of those, I'll write that verse down. And then I'll refer back to that. And then sometimes as I'm praying, I'll remind God of those verses. You know, God, you've said this, and you've said this, and you've said this. And just to remind you, I'm still praying for this right here, which I believe is in line with what you've said right here. So I would really want you to move in this situation. And you are the one. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll just rehearse who God is. You know, because sometimes... My view of God, depending on all my circumstances, can begin to kind of shrink. And so I have to remind myself, you know, this is the God of the universe. You read Jeremiah and God says, um, I am the God of the universe. Is anything too difficult for me? And you think, no, it's not. You know, the answer to that is a simple one. No, it's not. You know, begin to look up different promises. Then as far as creating space, too often I think we do make prayer like a, a one-way thing. Sometimes as I'm praying, especially if I'm waiting, I'll say, God, is there something in me that you're wanting me to learn right here that I'm not getting, that I'm being a knothead about or something? And if so, would you show me what that is? And is there something that, that you know, you would get more glory by waiting on this? If so, I mean, not, I'm good. You know, it's not about me. It's about you. And, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know, God, is this going to help somebody else for this to kind of linger on? If so, would you kind of help me to see that? And, you know, a lot of times I'll have, like, you know, an insight on something like, you know what, this this is really something you need to grow in. You're, you're kind of needing to learn to persevere and I think yeah I do I'm kind of a wimp okay so uh, you know but yeah I think talk to God and ask him questions and listen pay attention to help somebody else had a question we have time for one more yo um, I was wondering just like the different ways that like prayer is like being um, like you have like different tools like praying across it or like the prayer wheel like what's your personal like how do you like your prayer time on the yeah, when I pray, like, uh, well, like, I don't just, like, you know, I guess probably the best way to answer that is probably it's very, I don't just pray, like, you know, just time, okay, I'm done with it for the day, you know, I'll see you again tomorrow. Uh, I don't do that. I mean, I usually pray throughout the day. Um, like, I'll be meeting with somebody, and I'll go to meet with somebody, and as I'm, even as I'm walking over to meet them, I'm thinking, you know, God, Here's, you know, this person, and you know, you know their needs better than I do. Would you help me to really hear them well and be able to understand what they need and be able to understand where they are? And would, you know, you said you will give wisdom. So would you give me wisdom to know how to help them and how to just shut up when I don't need to help them? And would you, you know, help me in that? So I'll do that. In the morning, a lot of times I'll, 
I'll just launch very much akin to what Bob and Chuck were talking about. I'll just, you know, invite God into the time, begin to talk with him about some things, then begin to get into his word and converse with him back and forth over that. And then, you know, I'll just begin to go through some of the things that I'm praying for. You know, there's some things like uh, with the staff, I've uh, talked to them and like at the first of the year, I'll find out like for actually like the first of each semester, I'll find out some things, you know, I'll say, what, what, what is one thing that you really would like, uh, that you feel is like central in your life for next semester that you would like to see true? And I'll really bring those things every day before God, that uh, God will really do that, excuse me, <clears throat> in their lives. And uh, so I'll do that and then other things that I'll have like, you know, this that I uh, will refer to and pray through. But a lot of it goes on throughout the day. Sometimes, even as I'm, you know, Steve and I walked in here earlier, you know, and, um, you know, there was somebody at the back and um, they work here, you know, they weren't having a very good day. And I was just praying, you know, well, God, how can I help? And it turned out there was a way I could. So just step in and help a little bit. So, uh, so just pray, kind of throughout the day, all the time. Remember, it's a relationship and you are not the primary participant. You know, it, it, he is really primary participant. And a lot of times he'll spur things on just to get you to step in and begin to pray and begin to spend time with him. Does that make sense? So, we'll do it. Yes, sir. spend their time some way you know um, so like a lot of times I'll, I'll be driving or something like that and I mean you know you've got windshield time you know you can pray uh, you know other times you know if as I'm going through you know, maybe I'll be in the shower and I'll be thinking you know about this situation or that situation and I'll, I'll use that time to pray so you can uh, you can use up your time you know the th like I said you you don't want to develop a prayer life, you want to develop a life of prayer. You want to develop a life of prayerfulness. And you want to just weave prayer into the fabric of your life. So if you do, you know, what you'll find is you, you've got more time than you actually think to pray. Now, if we're thinking time that I'm just going to be by myself alone over here, you know, kneeling before God. Well, yeah, you probably don't have as much time. But, you know, if you look sometimes, sometimes go through and do a study on prayer in the Bible and just do a, a study on, like, posture of prayer in the Bible. And what you'll find is some people, you know, are standing, looking up and praying. Some people are standing and bowing and praying. Some people are prostrate praying. Some people are kneeling and praying. You see all sorts of different things. So what you find by it, what I take from that is, you know what, you can pray in a whole lot of different circumstances. I remember one time I talked to this guy, uh, a good friend, and 
he was on the a team and he and I were on campus and they were building Parkside, which is a dorm at our uh, uh, campus. And they were building this, this brand new in this, you know, the uh, Parkside International part. And so we were over there as they were building. And I said, let's walk through here and let's just pray that God would give us men out of this dorm who would really come to, <coughs> excuse me, come to know him and walk with him this next year. And he goes, how are we going to do that? I said, what? How are we going to do that? We'll just walk through and pray. And he goes, will we run into things? We'll have our eyes open. You know, and he goes, oh, oh, I've never done that. And I said, yeah, that'll work. Uh, so, so we did, and, and so we walked through praying and stuff like that. But I, I realized, you know, his idea of praying was that, you know, you got your eyes closed, you're over here. And I thought, well, yeah, I'm not doing that. And boom, you know, oh, pray for whoever's looking on the other side of that wall. You know, I thought, no, you know, so we just went through and prayed. And, and you know, the great thing was um, we saw a lot of guys come out of that, uh, come out of that dorm the next uh, fall. And uh, many of those are dear friends to this day, and several of them came to Christ. So it's really a good thing. Well, let me pray for us, and we'll wrap up and get out of here. Father, uh, we we confess to you that we are are so, um, so much infants when it comes to really... uh, knowing your heart and knowing your your character and knowing your desire as our father to answer things and you are so intent on Romans 8:29 of developing us into the image of Jesus that you will sometimes linger and um, sometimes surprise us with a quick answer in prayer but God in all of that, we want to say we trust you, and we really, uh, we really do want to expectantly look to you. As as Peter said, where else will we go? Um, you have the words of eternal life, and so Father, uh, we uh, trust you. I pray that out of this room of men and women, you would raise up those who uh, would really walk with you, would really uh, know you, and would really uh, trust you in uh, areas of their lives with prayer, and they would see you come through again and again and again. And we pray those things, Father, on the merit of Jesus, in his name. Amen. Thanks, guys.